Hey everyone, it's Charlie Epstein here, and I'd like to welcome you to this podcast on killing retirement. This is a show that breaks down the myths around money and what people are passionate about and shows you the path to really creating a life, designing a life that supports what you're passionate about as opposed to working for that paycheck. And then ultimately, how do you create a paycheck for life to support all the things that you desire to do? I'm Charlie Epstein, your host. I'm known nationally as America's 401k coach, and I'm also the man who's on a quest to kill retirement and this notion of retirement. Uh, there's a notion that we have here in America that uh, you get to age 62 or 65 or 67 or even 70, and then it's all over, and that's retirement. And Webster's definition of retirement always has disturbed me. It means to put out a use, and I don't know anybody who wants to be put out for use when they stop doing what they're doing. What I really think is people are looking for how to create a life that focuses on everything they desire to do someday, the things they're passionate about, and then how do you create a paycheck for life to support that. And so that's really what I'm about is this conversation with people across the country who are really focused on helping others create a life that they love and rethinking how they look at money and that can help them support really what they want to do most. So I'm really excited today in the show. We're going to be talking with Dr. Joni Connell. She's an author, an organizational consultant, and a leadership coach who helps people achieve their highest potential and create a work and work-life balance for themselves. So hi, Joni. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi. Hi. I know you're coming from beautiful San Diego where nobody complains about the weather, so we appreciate your coming out today. <laughs> And really, thank you for being here. And what we're and I'm most interested here on the program is uh, helping our listeners start to think in ways that they can start to create a life that they really love, that they're really passionate about, instead of one that they're just surviving through. You know, they're just going to work, collecting that paycheck, and hoping someday. 30 or 40 years from now, they're going to do what they're really passionate about. And one of the things I was really interested in is that you're somebody who's, you know, you're working with millennials, you're working with younger generations that are kind of bridging that gap. And it seems like you might already be helping them to understand how to create a life that they really love to do rather than working like our parents or grandparents did in a job that maybe they were doing, but really didn't want to. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that's, absolutely some of what I do and I help them succeed at it too. Um, one of the things we're finding with the millennials is that they have given up a lot of their childhood to have these great jobs and uh, fancy jobs that pay a lot of money and then finding that that's not exactly what they necessarily wanted to have to begin with. So helping them to figure out what is important to them and, and how to get there is part of what I do. So now, how did you get to this place of deciding to help people do that? And I'm really interested because you've got quite a distinguished background. I know you got a bachelor's in Harvard, but that was in engineering. And then you got your doctorate from UC Berkeley. So how did an engineer end up at UC Berkeley helping people create a life that they're passionate about? Well, that's a good question. My degree from Berkeley is in psychology, just to close the loop here. So mm -hmm. engineering to psychology, people 
people often are surprised at that. And I'll tell you, I did exactly what a lot of people do, which is I went to school to get a degree in something that I could make money at. I wasn't looking to make tons of money. I was looking to be able to support myself. My parents told me that once college was over that I was on my own and I needed to be able to make a living. I had interests in other things like music and all, but I kept thinking to myself, well, what can I do that I can make decent money at? And engineering was something I was pretty good at, and so that's what I did. I started working in Silicon Valley, and I found that I just wasn't passionate about it. I was kind of just surviving, like you said, getting the paycheck. And my passion at that time was travel. I was traveling all over the world whenever I could get time off. And I was even taking leave of absences from my job to travel all over the world and see people. And I realized that my passion was really around people. And that was also true at work, that I was really fascinated by the challenges that the engineers had communicating with each other. As engineers, we're taught how to you know, build circuits and debug them, not how to deal with other people. And so there were a lot of interesting things going on there with leadership and, and communications and interactions. And ultimately, I realized that, the other, that my colleagues would stay at work till 2 in the morning debugging a circuit, and I'd want to leave and go do other things. And mm. so I decided to go back to school and do what I really loved, which was understanding people, and that's why I went to school in psychology. And that's what I do now. I mean, I help people communicate with each other and, and a lot of different things. So, yeah, you went from uh, creating circuits, engineering circuits, to looking at people circuits in a way, right? Yep. Looking, that's, at, yeah, looking yeah. at the circuits that rule and run people's psychology. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I was hearing you talk about that, you know, we're uh, kindred spirits because when I went to school, I was an economics major who lived in the theater. My my mother uh -huh. was an opera singer, and my grandfather and father were accountants and executives. And I can remember my dad saying, well, you know, what are you going to major in? And I said, well, I'll minor in theater because they don't have a major in it, and I'll be an English major. And he said, that and a cup of coffee will get you what? Right? <laughs> and I remember saying to him, all right, I'll be an economics major who lives in the theater. And I, I always had this passion that someday, you know, that I'd go to New York and be a starving actor with all my friends, and I ended up in the finance business like I am today. But I did get to a place about eight years into my business where I started taking three to five months off a year and pursued my passion mm -hmm. as an actor. And one of the things I tell people is the more time I took off to pursue my passion as an actor, the more money I made in my financial business. I jokingly say... Money. Yeah. Uh, finally, after a while, my wife at the time said, you know, if you just stopped working, we'd be millionaires. <laughs> and then I made her one. So it was, you know, it was a good thing. <laughs> so tell us how you take this engineering knowledge with this psychology knowledge. And what's the focus of your work now? And what is it that you're doing for people um, that... Gets them to fly without a helicopter, which incidentally, everybody, is the title of Johnny's book, Flying Without a Helicopter, which we'll get to as well. So tell us how you do what you do and help people break out of that life that they're really not passionate about. Okay. Well, let's see. It's a little bit of a story here. Mm. So I went into um, psychology and 
became um, an organizational consultant, and I work with a lot of executives and leaders there. And just coincidentally, a lot of people who are reaching um, high levels and, and finding that they aren't passionate, they don't have that passion at work. So that's, that's one area how I help people is people who are a little bit older and, and have reached some sort of success and realizing that maybe the money and the status isn't exactly uh, what's uh, giving them inner passion and, and uh, peace. So they're looking for new things. But at the same time, working with these people who are very successful in organizations, I kept hearing complaints about younger people coming in. And they were uh, very um, uh, dissatisfied with the, the people coming in uh, who are probably the millennial generation for certain reasons. And that included lack of communication skills, lack of resilience, lack of independence, and lack of creativity. And at the time, I had a young child, she's now 14, but I, I saw the, the flip side of this, all these kids growing up and the parenting styles and the education uh, shifts and how people are, are managing children in the, in the education system. And we came up with a concept of the helicopter parenting, as you've heard of for, uh, for a while now, it's been out there. And um, finding out that a lot of the parenting, the helicoptering, which is hovering over the kids, doing it for them, uh, directing them and where they should be going in their careers and making them little successful people, um, it was actually hindering the children as they grew up and entered the workplace. It's hindering their, their progress in terms of their ability to uh, be successful in, in their independence and able to bounce back and, and also be happy. Finding a lot of people that they get to the workplace and they weren't as happy as they thought they would be because their helicoptering, you know, parenting and, and teachers have been promising them this, this wonderful light at the end of the tunnel after they worked so hard during their childhood. And they get out there and find out they're at the bottom of the ladder in the corporate world. They're not having these amazing jobs that they thought they would have. And um, very dissatisfied that the work is a little bit more boring than they thought it would be a lot of times, um, more tedious. And just not prepared to do these kinds of things because their parents have been helping them out so much as they as they grew up. And so we're talking about the nest. You're talking about the flying without a helicopter. The cover of the book has a helicopter landing in a bird's nest and a child jumping the nest. So the idea is here that the parents should be landing the helicopters and the children should be flying the nest and being able to be independent and thrive on their own. Uh, rather than just uh, having their parents hovering overhead doing it for them. So, so that's, you, that's sort of the concept there, yeah. Yep. So how do you deliver that? Because it sounds like if, if you're working, are you working in corporations now? Are you working with, uh, um, who, who, do you, who are you actually working with to have this conversation and have this impact? Well, it's kind of a broad message. So I work with corporations. I work with management to help them learn sort of what they're dealing with uh, in terms of especially generational differences. Because like I said, that the older generations tend to be dissatisfied with the younger ones, which is also a common thing as, as we go through life. People tend to have that come up. But then the younger generations are having issues with the older ones too. And so helping to manage those expectations and different um, work styles and expectations the way they grew up and all that 
um, and also how to help them train younger people to be more resilient and more independent so that they can be happier at work and more successful. I also work with the younger people themselves. I work with a lot of youth. I call them 15 to 25-year-olds who are either in high school or college or graduating just in the workplace and helping them. I do career coaching, helping them figure out what kind of careers they want, um, how to build some of those life skills so that they can take care of themselves and either make enough money in their careers to do what they really love, which might be surfing, as we see a lot in San Diego, um, but it might be <laughs> something at their work, too. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's true. I'm telling you, it's true. Um, and then I work with parents. And, in fact, later today I'm going to give a talk for uh, a charity um, with a bunch of parents there who are helping to um, do charity work with their kids and figure out how to uh, raise their kids in a way that they'll be more successful in life too. So I, I work with all three different populations there. So in your book you talk about this, but help our listeners, how or what can parents do right now to help their kids or the employers to, you talk about being more resilient but to, mm -hmm. you know, focus on, well, let, you know, let's step back. As, as I said, you and I are kindred spirits. We both make a, made a decision to do something that wasn't our top passion, right? You went into engineering. I went into mm -hmm. finance. We did it for the money. But we knew going in, that's this is not it. This is not the quote-unquote it thing, right? But we did mm -hmm. it anyways. So what did you learn to that will help somebody actually say to themselves, because I say to my kids now, do what you're passionate about. The money will follow. If there's any lesson I can give you. But, That's but, fantastic. But it's easier said than A lot that. of parents, yeah. Yeah, well, a lot of parents don't say that to their kids. Why? A lot of parents say... Why? Well, because, well, here's a, that's a bigger question, and I think that's one thing that parents need to ask themselves why they're not saying that. But one of the common reasons is that they want to, well, they, they think they want to um, help their kids be the best they can be and have a better life than they had themselves. I mean, that's mostly what parents want, right? We have great intentions. We want to do what we think is right for the kids. Um, but there may be other things in there, like, well, maybe you weren't, uh, a lawyer and you always want to be one and so you can get your kid to be a lawyer and that'll make you feel better person um, but it may not be what the kid wants to do and it may not be their passion so there might be some of this going on inside of you as a parent why are you uh, what's underlying this and uh, I think what you're saying is find the passion which is letting go a little bit which is letting letting control go a little bit and letting the kids figure it out for themselves and that's hard for parents to do, but it's part of, of letting, you know, landing the helicopter and letting them fly the nest, figuring it out on their own. And maybe they'll make some mistakes on the way, but that's important to do as well. You know, I think as, as I listen to you, I think about my, my dad, which was, you know, he was part of the greatest generation, you know, that they, they fought the war mm -hmm. and they came back. And, uh, you know, those men and women dreamed about, you know, settling down and, and having a family and either working or starting a business, which my father did. And 
and being successful that way. And then I, you know, it's interesting because I'm trying to think, and maybe you know this, and I think it's important for our listeners too, like that generation wasn't the helicopter generation, right? But they, right. But they made our generation, I'm going to say maybe you and I are similar in age, but more successful. So we have more. So now we have children. I have a 14-year-old and a 20-year-old. And, you know, these kids have even more than we had. And so that where did, where did, where did that helicopter happen? Where did that, that parenting style of helicoptering happen? Well, that's the subject of my next book, but I'll yeah. give you some ideas here. I mean, yeah, there are, there are a few things going on, and I think fear and anxiety motivate a lot of the helicoptering. Mm-hmm. And our society has shifted a lot now that the fear is that something bad will happen to our kids, right? The media right now has news story after news story about yeah. bad things happening, and they're very rare occurrences. But we see it, and we think that this is something that could happen to us, right? 9-11 was another thing that really scared us. Terrorism, we're all afraid of of these things. And so there's a lot of anxiety there. Another thing is the competition. Um, The millennial generation is a very large generation, just like the boomer generation was, or is, I should say. But at that age, you know, growing up, there are fewer um, opportunities because there are more people, I guess there's more competition for the same number of slots at the colleges, that there's um, the same number of slots are pretty much there, but there are more people applying for them, not just uh, people in the United States, but people all over the world are now applying for them. So parents feel that they have to do a lot more to get their kids um, in line for those, those slots. We also have this thing going on where somehow we've got this idea in our head as parents that there's one path for success. Now, I'm not saying every parent has this, but our society seems to have this idea that there's one path. Kids must go to college, and they must go to certain colleges, and they must go to and have one of these certain majors to be successful. And it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. I'm sure you could you could tell, say that, too. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So we're all trying to go and do the same thing, and even though it's not really what fits the needs of the individual's growing up and so they're kind of maybe even square pegs and round holes at this point or um, not necessarily fitting into where they really want to be and and you know we see this with millennials while I say find your passion and while we both think that's a great idea I see a lot of them through college out of college graduated and they still don't know what they want to do and they haven't found their passion. Right. And, and part of it is that, right, they just they don't know. Now, okay, you're in your 20s. You don't necessarily know what your passion is. Some people don't find it out until much later in life. Well, but don't That's you, okay. Yeah, but don't you think, you know, it's interesting because my, my brother is a educational anthropologist. Uh, he's been the headmaster of four or five different Montessori schools. And we have this conversation all the time because Montessori is the kind of school that really does focus on children being able to experience all aspects of their capability, good, bad, and indifferent, and then supporting each other. It's very mm-hmm. collaborative, right? I love, I can't wait to read your second book now. I love that you're articulating <laughs> these things. No, I'm I, I'm, here, I'm sitting here going, fear, anxiety, one path. I mean, these are, you know, it's interesting, Joni, because 
you can see that. I mean, I can see that in, in the parents that my kids are with and kind of the vigilance that they have and the making sure everything's perfect. And that kills creativity. That kills failure. As you were talking, I wrote yep. down one of, you know, Google. Think of Google. I mean, there's a great corporation that's all about iteration. That's all about failure. You know, they talk about fail fast, fail off, and fail forward. And I share with my kids, my daughter struggled with this. My son gets it. He's 14. I said, buddy, you're going to fail, fail fast, fail off, and just keep moving forward. It's okay to fail. And he kind of looks at me like, do I really mean that? You know, does this really mean that? Then I tell him, I don't mean with your grades. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But I see a kid who's out there trying everything. He, He plays lacrosse. He says, Dad. I want to be the utility player. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, I, I want to, I, I'm going to try goalie, and I'm going to do midfield, and I'll do attack, and I'll be defense, and I'll be the only one that the coach knows, you know, they can call. And I said, buddy, that's hard. You gotta, you're going to fail a lot. And he looked at me like, so? And he got Great. it. So, Great. So well, we'll see. It's 14. But I love what you're talking about, and this is so important. I hope it's going to be in your new book about how to teach parents to let go of, you know, putting that on their, on their kids. I mean, as I shared, my dad said, yeah, being an English major will get you what? And I just said right off the top of my head, oh, yeah, I'll, go, I'll be an economics major like I was ever going to teach economics. And it came mm-hmm. handy, but he also loved the fact that I was still hanging out in the theater the whole time. Right. I mean, that kind of experience. So how do you, how does somebody work with Dr. Joni Kahn? How do we work with you, doctor, to make this happen in the house with parents and at work? Yeah, well, this is what flying without a helicopter is about. And one of the chapters is on building resilience and building independence. And as parents, a lot of this is about letting go. And that's the hardest part sometimes is letting your kid fail. You know, when they're young, it's letting them fall down and get those scrapes, you know, instead of protecting them and having them only go on the little tiny slide, you know, you you let them have a bigger slide or something so that they will fall. Not so big where they're going to break their head open, but, you know, so that they have sort of controlled uh, levels of of failure and uh, bumps and bruises um, to the extent that you can. and you let them have these experiences on their own and not go in there and do it for them and, and create a path. We have a helicopter parent, which is always hovering overhead to, um, to, to take care of and pick up the kid whenever things are going wrong. But the lawnmower parent is the one who uh, clears the path ahead of the kid and takes out all the barriers so that they've never experienced these failures or difficulties. And so we want to avoid doing that for them, too. Um, As a parent, we want to see our children happy. We don't want to see them in pain. We don't want to see them disappointed. We don't want to see them with their heart broken. But they need to experience these things to grow and to find out what their passions are. Right? I mean, you talk about letting the kids try different things. I mean, and maybe they find out they're just not good at it. Right? And, you know, that's not always a fun thing to find out. And it might be embarrassing in front of other people. But, you know, at least they find out, well, maybe this isn't my passion. I thought it was. But uh, maybe I just don't have the skill to 
to keep moving in this direction. I might go and do something else instead. So it's letting them have these experiences. Yet, you know, being there to guide them, to coach them through, to help them think the questions that they need to ask themselves as they uh, go through these situations and what kind of decisions they want to be making. But it's not making them for them. So that's the difference. Yeah, and I think don't, that's I'm, what I tell parents. Yeah, I love the lawnmower parent, and I was <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, great. I, you know, I was as you were talking, I was reminiscing about you know when I when I grew up. Of course, there were no cell phones, there were no computers, and uh, you you put a nickel in the payphone or a dime or a quarter or whatever it was. But I'd come home from school, get my homework done, and then say to my mother because my father was working. What time do I have to be home for dinner? She'd say six o'clock, and my friends and I we'd go off. And yep. I look back on that now, and we'd be gone for two or three hours. Somehow we knew when it was six o'clock, and always made it home for dinner. I mean, we looked up at the sky with the sundial, but we knew. Uh, but they weren't texting us. My mother wasn't texting us. My father wasn't calling. Where are you? You, you know, where are you now? Where are you now? Where are you now? You know, <laughs> I look back. I look back on that now, and it's like, you, no one would let anybody do that now. Yeah, and I think we need to ask ourselves why. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, there are certain things fear, that are yeah. The anxiety, you know, will they be kidnapped? Mm -hmm. Will something happen? And mm -hmm. we do have to ask, ask ourselves that, you know, that issue. Well, Charlie, let me tell you one other thing here, though, that when we don't give them the skills, to go out there and take care of themselves because we're protecting them. Like you said, like if we're texting and making sure we know where they are, we're giving them rides and letting them let them take the bus, you know, they're not developing those. And so then they are less capable of yeah. taking them, uh, taking care of themselves. And uh, how are they going to develop those skills unless we back off a little bit and let them do that? I mean, I'm not saying, you know, throw your kid in the ocean and let them learn how to swim. I mean, you know, I'm, you know, talking about, uh, coaching them and guiding them to learn those skills and step-by-step step backing off so they can learn how to take care of themselves more on their own. And you just look at the difference today and what we are and are not allowing our to do uh, versus what we were doing when we were children. And you can see how kids have really been stunted in their growth. And when they get to be adults, now they're trying to figure out what their passion is and they're not able to because they haven't had that opportunity as children to go explore and just try new things and fail. And uh, another thing that's coming up is that they're taking the safe route because they are afraid of failure and they don't want to have that opportunity because when they don't get to fail along the way, it becomes something that's just so scary that they can't even imagine failing at something and, and they do anything they can to stay safe and then, then they don't end up finding their passion. It, it's, you know, so absolutely dead on. And you, the other thing you see, I'm sure you see is, and we see it with the clients and parents that we work with when they say, oh, you know, the kids came home. So they graduated college, couldn't get a job or didn't get the job they wanted. Now they're living at home with their parents again. Right. And I think that might be a symptom of what you're talking about, because yeah, absolutely. In the old days it would be you're not coming home here, go get a job and get an <laughs> apartment and you know take care of yourself. What do you, what do you mean you're coming home? That's not going to happen. <laughs> right. And through that 
difficult times and, and, you know, the discomfort, the pain of having to get a job and, and maybe not eat, you know, the food that you like and roughing it for a while is when the creativity comes into play and you start to come up with ways to find out how you can solve the problem. And often some of the best solutions come out of these situations. So can you share with us, you know, one of the best experience you've had in your work, either working in a corporate environment with management or with parents where you went, they got it, it's working. (laughs) Well, let's see, the best experience. Um, Well, you know, I just, I've been coaching uh, a, a couple people just recently and I went in for, this is a, a higher level person, and I went in for another coaching session. We were working together for a few months, and I was expecting to deal with the next issue that we wanted to talk about. Instead, it turned into a session where he told me that he had been using all the tools that we had uh, been introducing in, in our coaching sessions to a great success, and he was just so motivated and happy with his leadership that he could do this. He just never even knew he had it in him. Mm. Just a few little tweaks of talking through, you know, that that he could do it. It's not me doing it. It was him doing it himself, realizing that that he just had to figure it out on his own um, by being exposed to some new ways of doing things, and then finding out that he could lead a team through conflict, which is what the major issue was, and and be successful at it. I, I can't tell you how how rewarding it is to see somebody else excited about their work and their success, and just being a part of that and seeing that people have it in them to do it. Was there some specific tool or communication that you provided with him? Is there something that you could point to? Yeah, well, we talked about um, looking at uh, what triggers you. Now, one of the tools is Marshall Goldsmith. He has a book out called Triggers Now, which is a really good way of of putting it. But it's looking at when you have a a quick reaction to something, you know, an automatic reaction. Right, you get hooked. And it it may not be... Right, and you don't want to have that reaction necessarily. Like somebody tells you that, um, you know, that uh, you don't need to have passion in your work and you should go and just save up to retire and that might trigger something and you just say, wait a minute, you know, and it might make you feel like, wait, I got to stop and, and interrupt and talk to this person. And the idea is to take that moment and realize what the trigger is when it is somebody telling you you're wrong or if it's somebody telling you that, um, you know, there's no passion in life or something like that, disagreeing with it, that you would uh, slow that moment down and realize what it is that's triggering you and figuring out a way to handle it um, in the moment so that you're coming out in a constructive way rather than an unconstructive way. And sometimes people need to think about it ahead of time and prepare themselves. Like you walk into a meeting and not everybody's going to agree with you. Right, And so you have to be prepared for that. When someone doesn't agree with you, how are you going to handle that? And so if you think about it in advance, then you can be prepared for that moment when it happens and sort of set that off. So those are the kind of things we're talking about in this particular coaching scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 
it's dealing with some of those um, disagreements and unpleasant situations and conflicts and, and how to uh, control your emotions, really, in the moment. And, you know, that's, you know, that's one thing that helps people be happier at work is figuring out uh, how to um, control their own emotions and be in a good place rather than a bad place when other people come in with different approaches. Yeah, and I was just going to ask you how you work with clients in the happiness question, helping them to land on what makes them happy. And so I can see that in a, in a, a situation with conflict. Um, are there other situations where you really help people focus on? Because, you know, we started talking about people not doing what they're passionate about, like you and I did early on in mm-hmm. our careers. Mm-hmm. So how do you work with people to get them to actually sit back and say, you know what, I'm not doing what I'm really passionate about. This isn't working. I know it's going to mean a big change in my life or family's life, but I've got to go for it. How do you help people do that? Right. Well, I do a bit of career coaching, and then there's the change management piece. So two of those are um, the career is figuring out what your interests are and I have a lot of tools to help people figure out what their interests are and then what their style and skills are. And everybody has different uh, style and, and preferences and the type of environment they want to be working in, too. You may find that, let's say you had your economic Wall Street because you need a more supportive environment. You know, you work on Wall Street and people are really uh, competitive and, and ruthless. But um, if you go into another company where um, the accounting department or some other uh, finance department is a much more supportive atmosphere and people get along well, that that would be a good fit, even if you haven't changed what it is that you're doing. It's just the fit around you and the people you're working with or the type of company, the company that does something really good for the world rather than something that, that, that doesn't. So... But figuring out where the fit is in addition to what the content is of the work you want to do. But the last piece is I often find that people are stuck. This is the hard part. People say, you know, I'm not happy with what I'm doing, but I'm afraid to change. Because change is hard. It's uncomfortable. It's scary. Right? We never really know what's going to happen at the other end of the change. Is it going to be better or worse? Or, you know, um, will I be a different person? Or how is that? And so working through knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable and knowing it's going to be scary and just doing it anyway is really the hard part, you know, for people. Realizing that they that it's, uh, sometimes you need to go through some discomfort to get to a better place on the other side. Yep, people avoid risk at all costs to stay comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, I'm just yeah. comfortable here in my pain and sadness, and I'd rather just complain about it than actually do something about it, which is why people need right. you to help them get off the dime and go after their passion. You know, I, um, I, I like to share a little story. I have a nephew many, many years ago. He graduated college, but he was a drummer. That was his passion. And he graduated college, and then I heard he put the drums in his basement of his father's house and got a job working for the government. <laughs> and I thought, what? Yeah. Uh, and it was because his sister worked for the government. And 
I happened to be uh, in Chicago near where he was, and I called him up and I said, hey, come on out and see your uncle for, for dinner. And he sat down and I was drinking a glass of wine and I looked at him and I said, what the F are you doing with your life? You know, he was 21 years old. And he looked at me like, mm-hmm. well, before he could answer, I said, let me just take you out 40 years. Now, 40 years from now, you've been working for the government. You've had uh, three marriages, three divorces, two heart attacks. <laughs> Uh, you're overweight, uh, you have no friends, you're a miserable SOB, but you're working for that guaranteed government paycheck that you're going to get that pension and getting that house paid off. How are you feeling right now? It was like I had gloves on and punched him in the head five times, you know. And then I looked wow. at him and I said, you know what? I can't even sit near you. Get out of here. And I gave him a book, and the book was for his father. And two weeks later, I get a phone call. This voice goes, uncle, 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 I read the book. And I said, what? Who is this? It's your nephew, Michael. I said, I read the book. I said, what do you mean you read the book? Oh, you know that book I was supposed to give to my father? I never gave it to him. I read it. It was about industry transformers, Uh entrepreneurs. He said, I know what I want to do. I said, what do you want to do? He says, I don't want to be the guy who plays music. I want to be the guy who helps people that want to play music, play music. I said, you want to be an agent or manager? He said, yeah. I said, how are you going to do that working for the government? He said, I don't work for the government anymore. So what do you mean? He says, oh, I quit my job. I went online and I'm on my way to Boston to become an intern for the number one jazz management company in the the country. I was like, whoa. Flash forward eight years. He now has his own management company, Michael Epstein and Company. You can Google it. And he manages some of the top jazz musicians in the country, including one who won a Grammy Award last year. Is that cool? Oh, wow. That is fantastic. And so that is the kind of stuff that has me interviewing people like you and talking about this notion of killing retirement because Michael's never going to stop doing what he's passionate about. doesn't make it easy. Booking artists, jazz artists, you know, that's tough stuff. But he's passionate about it. And by the way, you know, you talked about fear and anxiety, and I can share this because his parents – my brother, my sister-in-law, you know that they they're they they're fearful, they're full of anxiety. And although my brother now just left his job and is starting his own consulting company, finally. Wow. Yeah. He worked through that. He did. He yeah. absolutely did. So people need what you're doing. So how do they connect with you? How do, how do they find you and work with you? Well, my company website is FlexibleWorkSolutions.com, and that has everything on it. Yeah, the book is also available, Flying Without a Helicopter, How to Prepare Young People for Work and Life. And you can get a free chapter on the book website, which is FlyingWithout.com. And you can also buy the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore if you ask for it. Okay, so all of you who are parents out there, this is a must read flying without a helicopter. And I know many of you who are going to listen to this podcast, you're going to have to look in the mirror and you're going to have to admit one of you, either the husband or the wife, is the helicopter parent fluttering around because <laughs> because the other one's yelling at that parent, stop being a helicopter parent, right? <laughs> Isn't that always the case? And then you find yeah, out the one yelling at the other one yeah. is really the bigger helicopter. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Oh, it's so great. I just, this has been so great. I just really appreciate you taking the time out to engage in this conversation with me. And, uh, and, uh, 
and everybody here that's going to be listening to this and as we as we build out this notion of killing retirement what i really want to do is create a network for people so that they we can meet them where they're at Joni, right because you know yep people are lost and they're trapped and they don't know what to do and you know there's so much talent there's you know your talent is just so extraordinary and you walk the talk engineer yeah turned therapeutic pathway to, to helping parents and people in the workplace to start making the right choices and connect with their inner passion. It's just so great. So, yeah, that's what I'm passionate about. <laughs> yeah, and you're, and you're making it happen. And I'll bet you when you made the transition, it was scary, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So share with us as we wrap up. I want to take you back to that moment when you realized, you know what, Silicon Valley engineering, no more. And, and what was that experience like for you? And what did you have to overcome to get where you are today? Well, I had to overcome what I thought everybody uh, expected of me to do as a successful graduate of Harvard, as a successful uh, graduate of an engineering degree, and say, you know what, I have to do what I want to do, not what I think people say I should do. So that was a big one for me. And once I realized that and um, was able to shake that notion, then I, I had the freedom to do what I wanted to do. But that's not an easy thing to do. It's really hard to to get rid of all the should and do what you really want. And uh, sometimes that's the risk. And it was funny because all those shoulds, everybody was happy what I did. You know, oh, well, why not? That sounds great. I can really picture you doing that. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was more in my own head. Yeah, and you probably said, wait a minute, I thought you were the one who told me I had to be the engineer. <laughs> yeah, everyone was very right. supportive, you know. Right. And, and they, so, yeah, sometimes, yeah, we just build these things up. So. And then they all said, yeah. oh, Johnny, we just want you to be happy. Oh, why didn't you yep. tell me that before I went to Harvard? <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, do we get a sneak preview? Have you got a title for your new book? No title. Somebody, okay. no, I don't have a title yet, but uh, it might have some helicoptering in it, so we'll see. All right. Well, we look forward to that second book uh, taking off, just like this career for you and flying with a uh, helicopter. Everybody, uh, this has been such a pleasure talking with Joni, and you can get in touch with Dr. Connell at flexibleworksolutions.com. That's her website. You can even call her at one six one nine eight zero seven eight one six five to get working with her, or if you want to email her, it's Jay Connell C O N N E L at Flexible Work Solutions with an S dot com, or if you tweet at Connell Lessons. Wonderful! I thank you so much Great. for taking this time, and I'm looking forward to connecting with you the next time I'm in San Diego. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I really love what you're doing. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll stay connected. Okay, thanks. That's, that's a wrap here for me, everybody. Once again, remember, you can go to our webpage. That's www.charliepstein.com and click on the RSV to get our Killing Retirement podcast delivered to you each month. 
course, you can always reach out to me for answers about killing retirement. And you can reach me right now at C.D. Epstein, E-P-S-T-E-I-N, at the, that's T-H-E, 401kcoach.com. I'm Charlie Epstein, and I'm here to help you kill retirement, create the life that you're passionate about leading. And if you need help, creating a paycheck for life to pay for all those things you desire to do most. Thanks again, Joni. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you on the next podcast. 